Well, good morning again, everybody. For those of you who don't know, my name is Pastor Jacob, and I'm going to be opening the Word this morning. So if you would, please open up your Bible to Esther. Um, fun fact, we also have an intern named Esther, but this sermon is not all about her, I promise. Um, yeah, so please turn to Esther. If you don't know where that is, go to Psalms, and then go two books back, and you'll find it. Um, so while you're turning... You may have noticed they have this crazy picture up on the screen. So this picture is actually over 500 years old. It was a drawing made in 1568. Um, I'm not big on history. I found that on Wikipedia. So, um, But what this portrays is something called the geocentric model in astronomy. Does anybody know at the top of their head what that is? If you are, I'll be really impressed. Um, pretty much... In this time period, and really for a very long time, people believed that rather than the sun being the center of our solar system, they believed that the earth was at the center of not just the solar system, but really of the whole universe. And so this was a drawing depicting what they believed about how the solar system worked. And so it went the earth, and then it shows all the different, I can't read them, they're in Latin, but it shows the order of the planets that they believed. Um, and it just amazed me to read about this and find out that people for so long were so wrong about something that we just take for granted now. Um, and so they thought the earth was at the center of the universe, and they had two reasons for that. One was everything around the earth, when you look up in the sky, seems to be moving. So if you look up at the stars, you see the moon, you see the sun, everything seems like it moves around the earth. So that was one thing that they counted on. And then secondly, when you're standing on the earth, it doesn't feel like it's moving. It doesn't seem like it is. It seems like it's in one place. So with those two things in mind, they, saw, they thought if everything around the earth is moving, the earth isn't moving. The earth must be the center of everything. Um, now, obviously, we know that the earth orbits around the sun, and it's definitely not the center of our solar system, let alone the universe. And so today in Esther, we're going to read about a guy named Haman, who had a completely different idea. He thought that the universe didn't center around the sun or the earth. He thought the universe rotated around him. He thought, everything spins around me. I'm the most important person in the world. And so we're going to be not studying about necessarily the person of Esther. We're going to be reading about this guy named Haman. And the way I picture Haman is, if you've seen Aladdin, he's like Jafar. You guys know who I'm talking about? He's the... He's the assistant to the king who, um, to the king, he's really nice and helpful and has all this great advice, but then to everyone else, he's just a total jerk, and he's only in it for himself, and that really is just a great picture of who Haman is. Um, so he first shows up in Esther chapter 3, so I'm just going to summarize a little bit of what's happening in Esther chapter 1 and 2. So pretty much, there's this great king, um, and his name is King Ahasuerus, and he has this six-month-long party for all of his war council. Um, and so they're just having a great time getting drunk. And one night, he is totally plastered and says, um, he says to a couple of his servants, bring in my wife so that she can model her beauty for everybody. And so they send for Queen Vashti, and they tell her what the king wants, and she totally refuses. And so the king is furious, embarrassed, because his wife doesn't listen to what he says. And so pretty much, long story short, Queen Vashti ends up um, not just not being queen anymore, but she's not allowed to ever go into the king's presence again. So he just pretty much banished his wife. Um, and then eventually he remembers the whole situation. He calms down and 
he gets lonely. So his servants suggest, why don't you have pretty much this beauty pageant? Um, if you watch the, the Bachelor, it's similar where they bring in all of these young women <laughs> and they spend a year beautifying them for the king. And then they all go and they hang out with the king and he gets to choose which one he wants. And so eventually, um, the woman that he chooses is Esther. And so Esther becomes the queen in Vashti's place. Um, and so Esther is an orphan, but she was raised by her cousin Mordecai. And Mordecai, every day while this beauty pageant was going on, would be outside of the castle walls just listening and waiting and, and getting updates on Esther. So um, during this time, Mordecai is chilling by the gate, and he hears these two guys talking about um, King Ahasuerus and how they have this plan to kill him. And so at this point, Esther's already queen. Mordecai goes to um, his adopted daughter, Esther, and says, Esther, this is what's going on. Tell the king. And so Esther goes and tells the king. They investigate it and find out these men were trying to kill King Ahasuerus. And so they're like, wow, Mordecai's this really great guy. They write his name down in this book. Um, but he doesn't get rewarded or anything for it. And then we come to chapter 3. And starting in verse 1, it says, After these things, King Ahasuerus promoted Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, and advanced him and set his throne above all the officials who were with him. And all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. So pretty much um, these two guys are taken out from the king's service, and then the king chooses this guy named Haman and promotes him to be second in command in the kingdom. There's nobody else who has a higher rank than Haman. Um, and even so far that when Haman walks around in the courtyard, people bow down to him. That's the king's commandment, is when you see Haman, you bow down. Um, and so he had just about as much respect as the king did. Um, and so what we're going to see as the story unfolds is, like I said, Haman really believes the universe revolves around him. He is a completely self-centered person. And so what we're going to be talking about today as we continue our series on idols in the land, is idolatry, the idol of self, the idol of me. And so when we talk about what is the idol of self, it's you. It's when you, like Haman, live your life like the universe revolves around you, like the most important person, like you're the most important person in the world. And I know for me to read through this has not been comfortable because I've been challenged in a lot of the things where I live my life like it's all about me. And so it's totally okay if today you walk out of here mad at me because you find out how selfish you are. Um, I did the same thing as I was studying. So, you know, if you're mad, I totally understand. So we're going to be looking about um, just through the whole book of Esther and all of the points that Haman pops up and see how he really practices this self-idolatry. Um, and so firstly, we're going to see that Haman was entitled and craved recognition. Before I go any further, if you're taking notes, one thing you want to pay attention to is at, with each point, there are two uh, self-examination questions that I'm going to read when I'm done talking about it. So just pay attention to those and write them down so that you can examine yourself afterwards. So we are going to be still in Esther chapter 3, and we're going to keep going in verse 2 and read about how Haman was, Haman was entitled and craved recognition. So again, all the king's servants who were at the king's gate bowed down and paid homage to Haman, for the king had so commanded concerning him. But Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage. So here's this Mordecai guy. Haman walks by. Everyone's supposed to bow down, and he refuses. Um, 
And so Mordecai is this really stubborn old school Jew who refuses to bow down to anyone but his Lord. The king's servants who were at the king's gate said to Mordecai, why do you transgress the king's command? And when they spoke to him day after day, and he would not listen to them, he told Haman in order to see whether Mordecai's words would stand. For he had told them that he was a Jew. And when Haman saw that Mordecai did not bow down or pay homage to him, Haman was filled with fury. So we're going to stop there just for a second. So I think there's two important observations about this uh, whole scenario right now. One is Haman received a really cool position in the government. He was second in command to the king, and everybody had to bow down to him. And I know if that was something I was put into, I'd be a little uncomfortable. I've never had anybody bow down to me, (laughs) but I think it'd be a little weird. Um, And even in the New Testament, the attitude when someone would bow down to another man, I think of Paul when he was on his missionary journeys, there were some people who would bow down to him, and he said, stand up, I'm just a man like you are. But as Haman walked around the castle courtyard and he saw people bow down to him and he received their respect, it was something that he enjoyed. He felt like he deserved. And so there's no humility in Haman to think, I don't deserve this position. It's bring it on, bow down. And so when Mordecai comes into the picture and he walks by Mordecai, Mordecai refuses to bow down. Haman is missing out on something that he both craves and he thinks he deserves. And so it brings him to a point where he's just furious. And James says, what's the source of fights and quarrels among you? It's your selfish desires that are in you. And so Haman is not having his selfish desire to be honored and to be praised, fulfilled by Mordecai. And so what happens? He gets mad. Um, And Mordecai is just probably more stubborn (laughs) than Haman is. And so he just completely refuses. Haman storms off in a fury. And so there's no humility in Haman. He enjoyed the praise he received from people. So you can almost picture him walking around with shoulders held high around the courtyard and, and looking at all these people bowing down. Nobody meets his gaze. Um, and so it was just something that he really enjoyed. He felt he deserved and he wanted more. And to have that taken away from him was something that made him angry. So Haman was entitled and he craved recognition. Here's a couple of self-examination questions. Uh, one, how do you handle not getting what you want? How do you handle not getting what you want? Two, are compliments something you hunger for? I think of when you, when you do something you think is great, are you wishing that somebody would say something about it, that you get recognition? Okay. So firstly, we have that Haman was entitled and he craved recognition. And then we're going to move on to the next couple of verses and see that Haman was willing to hurt other people to get what he wanted. So we have this interaction with Mordecai, and he's furious. And then starting in verse 6, it says, He disdained to lay hands on Mordecai alone. So when he was mad, he didn't want to be by himself and just beat the crap out of him in front of everybody. So as they had made known to him the people of Mordecai, so they had told Haman that he was Jewish, Haman sought to destroy all the Jews, the people of Mordecai, through the whole kingdom of Ahasuerus. And so... Haman has this one bad interaction with somebody. He finds out he's a Jew, and he says, you know what, I'm not just going to get back at them. I'm going to make them hurt like he hurt me, and I'm going to kill all those people. And so uh, Haman goes to the king, and he says, king, there's these people 
in your kingdom who have different laws than everybody else. They don't honor the king's commandments, and I think we need to get rid of them. And so I say that we put out this commandment that they should be destroyed, and we'll pay him to do it. And so Haman offers this huge sum of money um, to those who would go out and, to, and destroy the Jews. And then later on, the king says, go ahead. The money is given to you. You have the people. You have the manpower. Go ahead and do whatever you want. Um, and so Haman goes on, and he gets all the king's scribes together, and they write out this uh, decree that says, um, well, they wrote out these letters and sent them out, and it said, letters were sent by couriers to all the king's provinces with instruction to destroy, to kill, and to annihilate all Jews, young and old, women and children, in one day. And so Haman's taking this to a serious extreme, where he's saying, someone's wronged me, I want them to hurt. And so he sends out all these letters across the whole kingdom and says, on this day, everybody go out and kill the Jews. He's willing to hurt women, children, old people, everybody, because he was wrong. And so he doesn't care who he has to step on to get what he wants. And if someone gets in his way, he's going to take him out. So a couple self-examination questions with this one. When you're hurt, is it your habit to intentionally hurt back? In other words, do you seek revenge? Secondly, think of the times that you got ahead in life. Um, The successes that you've had. Where other people stepped on in order for you to get there. And so someone who is is in this spot of of idolatry, of self-worship, they're not going to care about what it takes um, to get ahead. They're not going to care about what it takes to move forward. And if other people get hurt, so what? I'm the one who matters most. And that's where Haman lived, was that he was the most important person in the world. So thirdly, and we're going to skip ahead a couple chapters, Haman was consumed by what people thought of him. So we're going to be in Esther chapter 5, verse 9. Um, and so a little summary of what happens in between. Um, Esther finds out about Haman's plot to kill all the Jews. And so she is encouraged by Mordecai, go and talk to the king about this. And so what Esther does is she plans this banquet between the king and Haman and herself. And it's just them. And they're just going to have um, this time to talk. And eventually Esther will use this to uncover Haman's plot before the king. Um, And so immediately after Haman's invited, obviously someone who is really self-absorbed and really cares about um, being respected, to be invited by the queen to a banquet with just the king and the queen and himself. He's the only one. This was something he was excited about. So in Esther 5.9, it says, Haman went out that day joyful and glad of heart. But when Haman saw Mordecai in the king's gate, that he neither rose nor trembled before him, he was filled with wrath against Mordecai. Nevertheless, Haman restrained himself and he went home and he sent and brought his friends and his wife, Zeresh. And Haman recounted to them the splendor of his riches, the number of his sons, all the promotions with which the king had honored him and how he had advanced him above the officials and the servants of the king. Then Haman said, even Queen Esther 
Let no one but me come with the king to the feast she prepared. And tomorrow also I'm invited by her together with the king. And so Haman, because he's consumed by what people think of him, he brings his friends over and he says, look at how great my life is. Look how sweet my house is and how rich I am. And, and did you hear about my promotion from the king and how I'm second in command now? And look at my 12 sons that I have, my huge family. Isn't it awesome? And I know <laughs> Hannah and I work really hard at decorating our house. And, and we, whenever we get something new, and just recently we got a carpet, we like to send pictures to people and say, look how cute our house is. Um, but this was something that Haman depended on from other people. We don't do it because we're like, oh my gosh, I'm really thirsty to see if someone really likes our house and if they post it on Pinterest. It's Haman needs this affirmation from people because he has to see himself as great. He wants to feel great. And so to show people how great his life is, they're going to say, that's so great, Haman. He's looking for compliments. He's looking for good opinions of himself. And so he's readily showing off all his possessions and all his accomplishments. But he says, after all this, he's showing off all his accomplishments and everything, and he says, yet all this is worth nothing to me, so long as I see Mordecai the Jew sitting at the king's gate. And so even though he has all this sweet stuff at home, and he has a really huge family, everything that should make him happy, to know that there's one person who doesn't think he's great, sucks the joy out of everything else. So I thought about, um, you know when you eat a really spicy food and it burns your tongue and then you try to eat the rest of your meal and you can't taste it because your tongue's just burnt. You ever been there? Yeah. And that's pretty much what's happened to Haman is he's had one bad thing happen and it ruins everything else in his life. He, he has all these great things and, and I would be excited to have everything that Haman had. But because he had one offense from somebody, because he had one poor interaction. There was one person in the kingdom who didn't think he was great. He said, I can't enjoy any of it. Because deep down, Haman wanted to believe that he is the best. He is great. He is worthy. And there's someone who didn't think that, and it killed it for him. So here are the questions for this one. When you get something new or accomplish something new, do you feel compelled to tell everyone you can? And do you hope they say something nice <laughs> in return? So when you get something new or accomplish something new, do you feel compelled to tell everyone you can? And secondly, when someone offends you, does it ruin your whole day? Is that something that you stew on all day long, that this one person, how could they say that to me? Or how could they act that way to me? Do they know who I am? And you are stewing on all those questions all day long. And you're letting that offense rule your life all day. Does it, when someone offends you, does it ruin your whole day or more? Um, for Haman, it did. To have one offense, it sucked the joy out of everything else in his life. And below all this, Haman's going to reveal his heart um, and that his deepest desire was to be the greatest. And so we're going to move ahead a little bit more. And so this really interesting situation happens where the king is having trouble sleeping one night, and he says to his servants, read to me. He's like a little kid wants a bedtime story. And of all the things that they bring to read, they bring the chronicles of the kings, 
Jim. So it's just this book about what's going on in the kingdom and in the king's life. And so they just happened to be reading from this section about Mordecai and how he had rescued the king from being murdered. He had uncovered this murder plot. And the king says, wow, that's really awesome. Was Mordecai ever rewarded for what he did? And they say, well, no, he wasn't. So he's racking his brains and trying to figure out, okay, what should we do for him? And who happens to walk in but Haman? And Haman is there because he has set up these gallows in his yard, and he wants to ask the king, can I kill Mordecai? And so he walks into the room, and the king's like, Haman, perfect timing. What should the king do for somebody that he wants to honor? And Haman thinks to himself, well, I can't think of anybody that the king would want to honor more than me. And so even there, Haman is thinking, he couldn't be thinking about anybody else but me. There's nobody better than me. There's nobody that deserves more honor than me. So it's got to be me. And so here's what he says. Haman said to the king, For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought, which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. And so Haman is presented with this opportunity where he thinks he's being asked, if you could have everything you ever wanted, what would you get? It's like when I was younger, my parents would ask me what I want for my birthday, and I would write down one thing on the list. So I would get exactly what I wanted, and they didn't have any other options. (laughs) And Haman's thinking, (laughs) he's thinking, the king is asking, How should I honor you, Haman? And he thinks, well, it'd be really great to wear the king's robe and the king's crown and sit on the king's horse and be led around by one of the king's servants. And everyone look at me like I'm the king. And so underneath it all, Haman is showing that if he could have anything, he would want to be like the king. He would want to be looked at like he was great. And it's so interesting because this same mindset is the same one that Satan had. In Isaiah 14, there's this passage that uh, literally is speaking of a king of Babylon, but um, a lot of people believe that, and some don't. um, It's possible that this is also speaking about Satan when he fell from heaven. And so this is in Isaiah 14, starting in verse 12. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. It says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of the dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. And so here it's going to say, You said in your heart, speaking of what was in Satan's heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, and I will make myself like the most high. And so Satan in his heart is saying, I want to be like the king. I want to be the greatest. I want everyone to bow down to me. And that's exactly what Haman was saying here. He says, I want to be dressed up like the king. I want to be seen as the king. I want to be the king. And deep down, he has the same heart that Satan did. Self-absorbed. and wanted everybody to bow down to him. 
So here's, here's our self-examination questions. If you had the opportunity to get whatever you wanted, what would you ask for? If you had the opportunity to get whatever you wanted, what would you ask for? And two, are you pleased when you know you're better at something than someone else? Are you pleased when you know you're better at something than someone else? For me, this is really, it might sound funny, but it's, it's real. I can't have Boggle in the house. Um, I really love word games. <laughs> and you can ask my wife, anytime I play Boggle, it doesn't matter who I'm playing against. I, I kick their butt. And I get really full of myself. I, and I'm not joking. I seriously, I can't hide my smile at how pleased I am that I can beat anybody at Boggle. And so we can't have it in the house because I get so self-absorbed. And so it's just something that I have to avoid because I just think how great I am. And is there something like that in your life where you know you really kick butt and other people don't? And does that please you? Or is it something that you know is bad? Um, and so there we have Haman in a nutshell. He was entitled. He craved recognition. He was willing to hurt others to get what he wanted. He was consumed by what people thought of him. His deepest desire was to be the greatest. And all of that just shows that he thought the whole world revolved around him. And so what we're going to do now is see how Jesus completely destroys this self-centered kind of life, this self-worship kind of life. And it's really awesome because each of these qualities of Haman is totally contrasted in the New Testament by Jesus. So firstly, Haman was entitled and he craved recognition. Jesus taught that no one is entitled to eternal life. The only way to the Father is through him. John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father but through me. There's no one that's good enough on their own. There's no one that's worthy to go to the Father except Jesus. And so he's saying, no one gets to him but through me. There's no way to be entitled when you see how worthy Jesus is and how unworthy you are. And then secondly, Haman was willing to hurt other people to get what he wanted. And Jesus' example in Philippians when it says that we need to have the mind of Christ, part of that is to consider other people as more important than ourselves, not as stepping stones to get what we want. And so the way that Jesus lived his life is he showed that other people were more important than him, that he should do everything he can not to get ahead, but to serve, but to be there for people so that they could have what's good in their life. And that's the whole reason he went to the cross in the first place is because he realized we couldn't get there on our own. And it caused him a lot of pain, but he considered us more important than himself in that moment. And he was willing to go through pain so that we didn't have to. It's totally opposite of Haman's mindset. He was willing to put others through pain so that he didn't have to. Thirdly, Jesus said that to follow him would lead to being hated by people, but accepted by God. And Haman lived his whole life consumed on making sure that people approved of him, that people had the right opinion of him. And Jesus said, if you follow me, people are going to hate you. Let me read in Matthew 10, verse 22. It says, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. So he's saying, if you follow me, there's a chance people aren't going to like you. You can't live your life to please people. But if you endure to the end, you're going to be saved. You're going to be with my Father, and He is going to accept you. That's much better than living your life for what people think of you. Fourthly, Jesus taught that those who wanted to be truly great must instead make themselves the least by serving others. Haman wanted, more than anything, to be great. And Jesus said, you want to be great? His disciples one time had an argument on which of them was the greatest. And Jesus interrupts and he says, if you really want to be great, you have to become the least. The greatest in the kingdom of heaven are those who serve other people. And Haman thought, if I want to be great, I have to serve myself. And Jesus says, no, you have it backwards. If you want to be great, you have to serve other people. Even the the great commandment, when someone asked Jesus, what's the most important thing in all the law? Jesus said, love God and love others. Nowhere in there does it say, love yourself, prioritize yourself. It says, first comes God, second comes others. You come far after that. And so Jesus taught that the best way to to reach greatness in your life is to lower yourself and serve people. And he did that himself. He was willing to be obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He obeyed God no matter what, and he served other people. He came in the form of a servant. Jesus' habit was to make himself low, to lift other people up. And so finally, being born again calls us to leave behind our old life that was all about us and to begin a new one that is all about Christ. One of my favorite passages in the whole Bible is 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'm going to flip there and then I'll read it to you. Okay. So if you really want to get kicked in the butt, read this passage when you go home. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. It says Jesus died so that those who now live through him wouldn't live their old life that was all about them, that when they lived like the whole universe centered around them. But he's saying now they have this new life through him that now centers around Jesus, centers around him. And you're out of the picture. A couple verses later it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old, the old life where you live for yourself is gone, and the new has come. And what Jesus has done is he came and he lived as a man, and he died for our sake. He served while he was here, and he gave us an example of loving others more than ourselves, and he died in our place. And he was buried, truly dead, and then he rose again to bring us to new life, eternal life, that only comes through Him. And this new life isn't about us anymore. It's about Him. The resurrection puts Jesus at the center of the universe. And when you become a Christian, you begin to orbit around Him. He's all that matters. And so what He's saying is, you need to leave behind this old life. Jesus didn't die for you to live for yourself. 
Jesus died for you to live for him. And maybe this whole thing hasn't made sense to you as I've been talking. Maybe it doesn't make sense to you at all that others would be more important than you. And maybe today is the day that you need to say to Jesus, I need you. Maybe he hasn't really transformed your heart because you haven't let him in. And all it takes is to believe in his work on the cross, to believe that he did what he did, that he died, was buried, and rose again. And today he's offering you a gift of eternal life and new life here that's all about him and not about you anymore. And so Jesus completely destroys the idol of self. It completely destroys our self-centeredness and gives us this new life that's all about Jesus and all about serving others. And so now we're going to have a time um, where you can just respond if you need to to pray with someone. We're going to have some people up here to pray with you. Um, And we're going to have a song play, and the words will be up on the screen just so you can meditate on it. Um, And this song is called Only Jesus. I was going to sing it, but it doesn't really fit my voice, and it would have been horrible and distracting. So we're going to play it over the speakers, but it's really sweet, so meditate on the words. Right here, Jesus is the only name to remember. The chorus says, I don't want to leave a legacy. I don't care if they remember me, only Jesus. Jesus.